So this week we'll talk about transitioning to analytics. And we have a special guest today, Juan Pablo. Juan Pablo was a math teacher who switched careers and became an analytics engineer. He currently works at Amazon and he also mentors at the University of Washington, where he helps students get their first data role. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be invited to the Data Talks Club. Ah, thanks for, for joining us. So before we go into our main topic of transitioning to analytics, to analytics engineering, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? Sure. I started as a mathematics graduate student. My goal was to become a math professor. That seems like a lifetime away ago. And after that, when I left my program, I started taking statistics courses. I wanted to get into data analytics. At the time, let's be honest, I was not ready. And so the easiest path to a job was math teaching. And that's what I had experience in. And it was close to my original goal of being a professor. So I ended up being a math teacher. And after I think I was teaching the intermediate value theorem for the fifth time that I realized I cannot do this much longer. I need to make a change. I need to get a job in data analytics. We can get later into why data analytics. And I started working towards that transition. My first role was at a consulting company here in the Seattle, Washington area. My second role was with T-Mobile. T-Mobile was a client that's very common in consulting where the client poaches you or asks you to join them full-time. So I was in consulting for about a year. I was with T-Mobile for a little over two years. And then I've been with Amazon for two years and one month. And here I am. I've been doing the mentoring part with the University of Washington. This is my fourth year. And we met online. I've been active on LinkedIn and Twitter for the past six months. And thanks for advertising our data engineering course. So this tweet really took off. A lot of people saw the course because of your tweet. So thanks for doing that. My pleasure. I saw that shared by someone else. Someone who I think is either based in, in England or Scotland. And I clicked on the link on the GitHub, right? And that tweet didn't get much traction. And I opened the, the link. That's how I found out about Data Talks. And I thought, this is pure gold. This is a valuable learning resource, a valuable community. And it deserves more attention. You know, people are always asking for resources, mainly for data science, data analytics. But I've been curious because I've been around long enough to realize that there aren't enough resources for data engineering. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that one, like I need to share it so that it gets more visibility. Hopefully people will join right away. But if not, at least it's in, the, in their radar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. You mentioned this intermediate value theorem. Is it something from game theory? No, intermediate value theorem should be a calculus. So you were teaching calculus. Yeah, so I was teaching calculus in a high school. It was a private high school. And I had also um, been a teaching assistant when I was a graduate student. And I always got the same course, Calculus 1. Mm -hmm. So I had done it four times in college, one time in high school. And I said, OK, I was at the board and something clicked. I don't want to turn 50 and still do the mean value theorem or the intermediate value theorem. Mm -hmm. And so something was planted in my mind then 
and I started doing more research. I started studying at night and yep. And it's been six years since then, maybe a little more. You're probably quite good at uh, taking derivatives, integrals and like this chain rule stuff. To be honest, I haven't done it in a while, but yes, it's a matter of, you know, rereading the rules. Well, the, the chain rule I can do by memory, but, you know, integration by parts, I might have to revisit the theorem and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was taking a deep learning course and like in deep learning, you have this back propagation and you need to apply this chain rule quite a lot. And I was having a hard time remembering, especially doing back propagation for uh, this much normalization, like this der derivative, like it was blowing my mind, but I guess for you, it, you can do this with your eyes closed. Oh, hopefully. I, I like the vote <laughs> of confidence. Yeah, but when you think about the chain rule, I'm sure at some point you must have seen it either in high school or in university. And unless you go into math or maybe statistics, you might not revisit it again. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's common that people forget. Yeah. Funny that you bring that up. When I was a teacher, sometimes students would ask me, but when will we need this? <laughs> And I would try to politely change the subject. <laughs> well, now you can say that uh, for deep learning, <laughs> well, at least for the theory part. But now with TensorFlow, you can just do whatever you want with TensorFlow and it will take care of uh, computing the derivatives. So, yeah, maybe I, I'm not sure if it was really needed. I mean, I probably can claim that at some point of my life, I understood how it works. Now I don't again. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> So you were a math teacher, so you were tired of teaching intermediate value theorem for the fifth time, and then you went to research, right? This is how it happened. Would you like me to go about the transition? Yeah, I'm interested how exactly you, like from the point you realized, okay, this is not for me, I do not want to turn 50 and still teach that, to the point when you got hired, like how did it uh, actually look like? What were you doing to basically go to the industry and start working as an analytics engineer? Yes, absolutely. I can touch on that. When I was a graduate student in math, I was mainly taking math courses, but I knew that I wanted to leave the program at some point, most likely after the master's. And so I started taking courses in the biostatistics and statistics programs. That's how I was familiar with hypothesis testing. Uh, linear statistical models, SAS, uh, statistical software, and then some R programming. It was in my radar. And we're talking about 2012, 2013, when data science, data analytics were starting to become popular terms. I had also seen some of my classmates drop out of the program to join software engineering boot camps. So then let's fast forward to when I was a, a teacher and I had decided to leave the school. They offered me uh, to come back the next year. It was a private school, so you're basically contracted every year new. And I declined the offer. And at night, I would watch some videos on YouTube. I would go through other people's GitHubs. I would try to get enough information to strengthen my R programming skills and to familiarize myself with some, let's say, database packages in R, also some machine learning packages, how to use them. I didn't know at the time that I needed to learn SQL, and it's what I use most of the time now. And 
I didn't know about Tableau. And most of the data is that the visuals I was building were using R, but it started, right? Back then, I was in the middle of the country in the Midwest. After my, the year ended, I moved to the West Coast, where the jobs are, where the tech money is in the United States. And I actually moved back with my parents. And I joined a, a boot camp in the area, right? There were multiple boot camps at the time. Being a teacher or a former teacher, I went for the cheapest boot camp. And I got the cheapest education. Lesson learned. If you were doing the speech today, would you go to not the cheapest one? Yes, I would go to another one with a bigger network. Mm -hmm. Because it's ultimately about the network. But, you know, that's how you learn. Right? And so I just have to live with it. I met some interesting people, so I, I don't fully regret it. But I have to acknowledge that I got what I paid for. Mm -hmm. There, at least they gave me kind of a roadmap made me aware of the things that I didn't know. And it became a, a clear... Like SQL. SQL, yeah, yeah. SQL and Tableau or Power BI, some software tool. Eventually, they're going to make you build dashboards and share them with the org. And most companies would prefer to use a software tool like Tableau, Power BI, QuickSight, ClickSense. Mm -hmm. So the bootcamp was about analytics, right? Not about data science. It was about analytics. Mainly analytics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They advertised it as both, but it was mainly analytics. And mm -hmm. I also, I don't know, it seemed easier to get like a data analyst job than a data scientist job, uh, particularly with no internships or no tangible experience. And to be honest, at some point, the time you're looking for jobs or the time you're searching grows longer and you will take anything and so yeah that would have made me aware of my learning gaps it also made me aware that they cannot guarantee me a job i need to go out and hunt i need to network i need to meet people and i would do that right actually most of the content that i share online and most of what i share in the mentorship with the university of washington or, or outside of it comes from that time period in my life when I was searching for a job and I wasn't landed one. It took me actually nine months. Yeah, it was painful. I was frustrating. You didn't have any income during this time, right? Because you quit your math job, right? And you also were taking bootcamp and it wasn't free, right? So you needed to, to live on your savings. I did. I also, um, it's something I don't share on my tweets, but I did two things. I worked at a restaurant. Okay. And once I started getting interviews, working at the restaurant with a fixed schedule was not doing it for me. So I started driving Uber. I was an Uber driver for some time because it gave me the flexibility. Mm -hmm. Why do you, not, do you not share it? Like from Uber driver to analytics <laughs> engineer, it sounds much cooler than from math teacher. It does sound much cooler, but the reality is, if I were to share from Uber driver to analytics engineer, it makes it sound it's like funny. I had no education. And yeah. the reality is that I did. I just needed to, to get some prove fun. myself on the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't want to be misleading, but yes, it does sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
and yeah, I tried multiple things. And I know that you reached out to me about one specific tweet where I say like eight tips and alternatives on how to land a data analytics job. I tried many of those. But moving back to the story, uh, how did I eventually find a job? Back in 2016, this was 2016, people would network online, but they would also network in person. Luckily, I was in the Seattle area and there was in a neighborhood called Pioneer Square. They had a venue where they host events, like meetup events. Like if you go to meetup.com, you would get some Python events there, some software development events, some data science events. And I went to that event place probably 10 or 15 times during my search. It was during one of those times that I met this man who was hiring. He had a consulting startup and I met him there. We chatted. I shared my resume with him. Eventually he would hire me, but at the beginning he ghosted me. Mm -hmm. And I understand many people ghosted me. Then through someone else, he received my resume for the second time. When he got it for the second time, after a month or two, maybe three, he reached out to me mm -hmm. and basically said, I guess you're still looking and you're not going to give up. So I went to interview you and, and then I got the job. Yeah, that's uh, such a nice story. I mean, of course, also, I imagine it wasn't easy for you. It was quite difficult because you needed to drive Uber and then... Uh, it's, uh, I imagine that it's quite frustrating that, you know, applying and then not hearing back. So that's uh, quite admirable that you did this for nine months. But eventually, because of the network, as I understood, you managed to. So first of all, you talk to this person and then you talk through somebody else. And this is the power of network, right? You wouldn't be able to do this just by clicking a button on the website, right? Correct. Clicking, submit works for some it didn't work for me at the time it works for me now my labels are different right uh, after working for amazon people will give you more opportunities than when you're let's say a high school teacher or just a college graduate without any experience so when you're in those situations you have to hustle it's like social proof or i don't know how do you call it but people see okay this person works at amazon they must be quite good right let's interview them while when they see this is a math teacher and they have 100 other math teachers and they okay how do we select the math teacher we want to interview now right. is it the case like uh, with you from the bootcamp i imagine that there were many people from different backgrounds and then it was quite difficult i guess to set yourself apart from others like you so there were 10 of us and six or seven went back to doing what they were doing before Mm, okay. I am friends with a couple of people who are in the bootcamp, two are in data science. One is in like software sales. Then everybody else went back to doing what they were doing. Do you think is it because it was the cheapest bootcamp or because of other reasons? The market was tough back then for uh, people without experience. I think the market is tough for people without experience. The market is just tough and if you're in that group, you have to hustle. You have to look for alternative ways on how to get in front of a hiring manager or hiring committee. You have to think outside the box. 
basically you have to look for the uncrowded doors because if you look for the crowded doors, let's say they click submit or even go to a job fair, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because in those crowded doors, you have the top applicants coming in. And what are these alternative ways that are less crowded? So clicking apply is a crowded way. Like there are yes. a lot of people who do this. Job fairs is also not the best approach, right? So what are the, the better alternatives? Yeah, you mentioned yeah. Pitap, I guess this is one of them. Is there anything else? So first, I think if you're on LinkedIn, right? If you're on LinkedIn, that's a big plus. But being on LinkedIn is just not enough, right? It helps if you're active on LinkedIn. I believe that most people use LinkedIn the wrong way. What do I mean by that? People can do more than just liking posts. People can do more than resharing an article and not writing anything about it. People can do more than sharing a PDF of someone else's work. We can do more than just saying, my company just went public. I believe that everyone has something to say. I believe that everyone has a journey. And people are out there dying to hear what you have to say. It might not get traction the first few times, but you'll eventually find your voice and you'll find your tribe, your people. So LinkedIn must be up to date and be active there. If you are shy initially, it's fine, but you can comment on other people's posts. And something beyond, I like this or I agree with you, ask questions, add value, don't pick fights. And that'll go a long way. Why? Because it brings visibility to your profile. And if your profile makes it obvious that you are looking for work and that you're serious about it, and perhaps you have a portfolio, you can make it easy for people to land on that portfolio, then the conversation is different. Another one is your resume should always be up to date. And if you have a link to it, share it. You know, Let's say you're looking for work and someone approaches you and they, they say, oh yeah, can I take a look at your resume? And you tell them, oh wait, but I have to go back home and get on my laptop so that I can share it with you via email. I mean, you just lost an opportunity. It should be, okay, let me just send it to you via LinkedIn on my phone right now or a QR code or a link. So yeah, uh, that's another thing. A third one is to have a portfolio. It doesn't have to be the most advanced portfolio, but it should be a link where people can see what you've done, especially when you're trying to land that first job. Since I mainly was familiar with our programming, I use the website rpubs.com. In fact, mm-hmm. you invited me to this and I went to see it and I can see that some of the posts are up, but when I click on them, they don't load anymore because it's been six years, but that's what I use. It's pretty easy, right? I think that I remember that there is R markdown language. So in R Studio, you can just quickly type something, click a button, and then it gets published, right? Yes, it'll create an R markdown file and it'll push it. Yeah, I remember doing this uh, as well when I was still learning R. Okay, so you used that for your portfolio, and then I guess in R Pops, you had all the projects you did in R, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, I had my projects in R, mostly uh, data wrangling exploratory data analysis, data 
visualization. I used, I don't know which um, library it was, but it incorporated Google Maps. Mm -hmm. So it was useful in case you wanted to display maps, yeah, or heat maps or uh, yeah, locations mainly. And I had some uh, machine learning, very basic, just some classification and regression models. The idea was for people to see that I was serious enough and that I had something up. Like serious enough is how many projects do you need to have in your portfolio to say that you're serious? One, two, three, five? To be honest, I think three is good enough. Three? Okay. We're talking about entry-level roles. My first role didn't pay much, and so I think it was good enough. I actually had maybe seven or eight, but I often get the question, you know, how many projects should I have? Should I wait until I have that magic number to share it? No, no, no. I will always say this. Any portfolio is better than no portfolio. So even if you or have any, one, you mean like one. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Just put it up there, share it, socialize your work, share it on LinkedIn, share it on Twitter, share it on Hashnode, share it on Medium, share it, just share it. Let people see it. Some will think it's not good enough. Some will laugh at it. They're not going to laugh at it online they're not going to share how disappointed they are in you but if someone finds it interesting if someone clicks on it and eventually lands on your linkedin page maybe connects with you or reaches out to you it's a win if you're looking for a job you can have a hundred rejections but if you get hired one company then you made it you just need only one successful application right yes that's it and you're in yeah i imagine that uh, let's say you're on a meetup and you want to, how to say, make a move? <laughs> you know, you see somebody and you want to <laughs> say, hey, I'm looking for a job. How do you do this? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I would go to these meetups. I mean, initially, I was excited about the topics presented. But after two or three meetups, I realized, okay, well, I'm here to get a job. And initially, I would talk to the presenters, which were let's say, people in their 20s, maybe early 30s. And quickly, I started realizing, okay, well, they are junior or intermediate data scientists. I need to talk to the managers. <laughs> and so at the time, my strategy was to sit in the back of the room so that I can scan everyone in the room. And I picked out people who looked a bit older, <laughs> 40s and up. <laughs> And typically at the end of the, the meetup or at the beginning, there was a networking event right, where they were giving out some food and sometimes they were giving out alcoholic drinks. I actually never mentioned this, but or I didn't mention this earlier. I've worked in restaurants throughout my undergrad career and my parents had restaurants when I was growing up in Latin America. And so that environment was always familiar to me. And so I would just approach them and say, hello, how are you? My name is JP. JP is easier for most Americans to pronounce or to say. And I would introduce myself and I would ask them who they are and what they do. And I wouldn't tell them that I needed a job. I would try to connect with them and be their friend. And so at some point, the question will arise. Mm -hmm. now, or if they, it doesn't arise from them, you'll say, hey, by the way, I'm looking for a data scientist or a data analyst role. My background is in mathematics. I used to be in education. I've been creating some small projects. And would you happen to know who's hiring? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so then the conversation starts, right? If they don't want to help, they're not going to say no, but they'll tell you they don't know anyone. But if they do, then they'll at least connect with you on LinkedIn, right? And they might share your profile with someone else. Okay. So how many such let's say chats or how many people you needed to talk to to find that one who eventually helped you to get a job? Like tens, hundreds? Yeah, maybe like 30, 40 people. They were not hiring. Some people were actually just curious about data talks or software engineering, but they were not in the field. Maybe they're in insurance. They're actually considering making the switch. Mm -hmm. So yeah, eventually I met this person and yeah, she was the one who hired me and helped me. Yeah. Okay, so if I summarize this, so look for people who look like managers, not juniors, right? And then talk to them and then just say, oh, by the way, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so again, I don't know if this will work for everyone. It just worked for me and I can only share my experience. And then in that tweet that we you mentioned, so that tweet, uh, I think you have it pinned. So the tweet says, getting your first job in data analytics isn't always easy. Blind applications don't work for everyone. Sometimes they only lead to rejections. These eight tips and alternatives can help you land your first data analytic jobs. Right? So we talked about LinkedIn. Did we talk about everything or there is something no. that we didn't talk about? We talked about LinkedIn, talked about having your resume handy, talked about a portfolio, and I would love to talk about the rest if that's okay. Yeah, but let's do that. Yeah, yeah. I have a number four, reach out to recruiters or hiring managers. In my desperation, I crafted a message and also in my desperation, I did some free code camp web development courses. And so I also had created like my own website back then. I have a new one now with a website builder, but back then I, I crafted this message and I told them that, you know, I was a data analyst with some web development background and I would reach out to recruiters and hiring managers or what I thought were hiring managers on LinkedIn. Right. I sent maybe, I don't know, like 200 of such messages. I got about five replies. <laughs> you should have done an A-B test, maybe. <laughs> Actually, one led to an opportunity, but then I also had the opportunity from the meetup, and so I chose that one. Oh, so you, you actually had two offers, right? Yeah, but see, the one for the meetup was a full-time role. The other one was like a temporary trial period. And so, yeah, I ended up going for the one. Oh, at least something, right? Yes, no, no, yeah, absolutely. And I will talk about that in just a few moments. Number five, consider contract and temporals. I have met multiple aspiring data scientists and analysts where they are looking for their ideal company. And the ideal company could be Amazon, could be Facebook, and they will not consider a contract role that pays maybe half, but will give them the experience. And so, they will sometimes turn down these opportunities or won't even look at them and they'll continue looking at the big companies and then the months pass and they still have nothing. They have no job, so no money, and they have no experience. So I would consider contract roles. That's actually how you know many people get started. What's a good place to find such roles? To find contract roles, dice.com in the US is the, the best place. So dice and roll in the dice and to be honest if you want to stand from the crowd sometimes the recruiters on dice so let's say you click on a job posting you'll see the recruiter john smith and many times they'll post their, their number just call them mm -hmm. 
Yeah, just call them. Sometimes I'm curious, right? I want to know what it's like, so I'll, I'll do it. Like, who's the client? Most of the time, they won't share that. How long is the contract? And what's the hourly pay? And so, you know, someone is interested in contract roles or considering them, you know, if they tell you they pay $50 an hour, you just multiply that by two, that's 100K a year. So that's a quick message. What do you think about places like Upwork and Fever and so there? I think they are also slightly less long-term positions, but typically I see that there are freelancers there who are doing data analytics and then somebody who maybe wants to get a report or something, they maybe go to Upwork and find people there. Do you think it's a good place? Do you have any experience with this or maybe you know somebody who used it to get experience? I know someone who has used it. My take on it as an outsider, because I use Fiverr for other things, for proofreading, for translations. So you used it as a client, okay. As a client, yes. Never as a service provider. My take on it as a client is that if you live, let's say, in the United States or Canada or even Western Western Europe, then you are the most expensive by default. Mm -hmm. So you are competing with people who are in, in other countries who can offer more competitive pricing. And so that puts you at a disadvantage. Okay, yeah. And DICE, is, it focuses on uh, North America, right? It definitely focuses on North America. I don't know if they also are available outside of North America, but DICE looks for contract and temp roles in your market where you need to be in, in your market, in the geographical location where the job is, right? If not in the same city, at least in the same country. Yeah, now let's go to number six. <laughs> yeah, I hear a lot. I don't have enough experience and I don't know how to get it. You can help a nonprofit with a project. It might not be the ideal project, but it is a project that is helping an organization. So it's real. It's a real, I don't want to say business case because it's nonprofit, but it's a real world problem that needs to be solved. And so that's an opportunity. You can either reach out directly to them, or I shared in the tweet, there's a website, Catch a Fire. It's a platform that will connect you with nonprofits who need technical work. Yeah. And so that's something that you help them out, and then you can discuss, is it okay if I put this on my portfolio? I will mask the numbers, but I want to you know, share that I've done something for a company. And then you can list on your resume that you were, let's say, a data analyst consultant for three months. And that, at least in my eyes, is real world experience. That's an alternative. It's very different from just click and submit. <laughs> and number seven, create your own internship. So this is what I did with the messages, right? When I got offered the temporary job or temporary yeah, probation period, where you reach out to someone, typically a small or medium company, right? You're not going to reach out to Google and try to pitch this to them. But a small company will be open to listening. And so you reach out to them, you introduce yourself, you introduce your portfolio, what you bring to the table, how you can add value to them. Briefly be concise. And then you say, I'm willing to work for you for two or three months for you know, an hourly amount. Typically something that is attractive to them. A lot cheaper than you know, a full-timer. And after that three-month period, you can decide to hire me 
or not. Now, the good thing is that if they give you a job, great, you have a job. But even if they don't, you have three months of experience. And during those three months, you will prove yourself, but you will also save some time for applying to other places. Because now you are a data analyst, right? Sure, you're in a three-month probation period, but uh, I don't think anybody needs to know that. Or if you want to write intern or temp, you can spin it in any way you want. But the experience you have. So the 200 messages that you mentioned, they were about that. So you, this is what you wrote. You said that this is me. This is what uh, the kind of work I'm looking for. Would you consider me for three months internship, right? This was the message you sent. Yes, I said, uh, this is me. This is my work. This is how I can add value to your company. So make it about them. It has to be personalized, right? So probably there was a line in this message that you would change for every company or would you just copy and paste? I would just copy and paste. I would copy and paste. So I looked for small or medium-sized marketing agencies who do still need some uh, analytics work and potentially some web development work. And so I targeted them. And I targeted some in my area. I targeted also in cities where I had lived because I didn't go to school here in Seattle, Washington. I went to school in Iowa. And so if I send a message in Iowa, I would say I'm an Iowa grad. So that, okay, he's one of us, right? Mm -hmm. To be honest, I was so desperate that I was trying multiple things. Well, it worked at the end, right? You said that it was a, an opportunity at the end. Yes, there was an opportunity that they offered me. I think it was $20 an hour, which for a tech role in the United States in Seattle is peanuts. I think today Starbucks offers $20 an hour to be a barista. But you cannot sell this experience later. So... Being a barista, you get the same kind of money, right? But this is not something you put on your CV when you look for a job, right? But this is even though it pays $20, it goes to your CV and then you can sell it to the next company. It's a long-term investment. And yeah. I don't even know if an investment because you're, you're actually making money off of it. Yeah. And the last one is network. Network, network, right? Put yourself out there. Reach out to friends, family, alumni in your network if you went to a specific school. Go to virtual meetups, join specific groups on LinkedIn. Uh, there's also Slack. I'm sure that there are many that I don't take advantage of or I don't use myself, but uh, they're out there, right? I believe even Facebook has groups on yeah, it does. software engineering. Or, everything. Yeah. So try them out, right? See what works for you and don't give up after the first message because no one will offer you something on the first message. It takes time. Yeah, 200 messages, right? <laughs> you have to keep popping up too, right? You have to, like on Twitter, you have to keep popping up for people to say, okay, I've seen this person 10 times. Mm -hmm. I'm going to click on it now. Okay, yeah. I heard this uh, overwhelm the algorithm. So basically, like if you start posting a lot on Twitter, then Twitter will show your face, your messages to others, right? So eventually you just need to keep pushing yeah okay. one thing i wanted to ask you so you mentioned that the first time your personal website the first site you did yourself because you were taking some courses on free code camp mm -hmm. but the website you have right now you created using a website builder what yes. is the builder well, what is the tool yeah i use zyro z-y-r-o zyro it's like no code site builder 
Yeah, it's a no-code site builder, and it might be based out of Lithuania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am uh, very pleased with them. I've reached out to them on on Twitter multiple times for tweaking of my website, and they've been very helpful. It looks really nice, clean, and responsive. Good design. So, yeah, I guess for somebody who is looking for a place to host their portfolio, this looks like a good option, right? I would say so. Yeah, I, I am pleased with them. And yeah, if you go to my Twitter, you, you can find it and you can click on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It costs some money, does it? It does. It was a bit more competitive in terms of pricing than using the paid version of WordPress and also Squarespace. And I don't know if it's the nerd in me, but I like the idea of trying something new, knowing that the company is, uh, let's say, in, in what part of, is that? Uh, North Central Europe, Lithuania? Yeah, well, region. Okay. And they're competing with the big guns here in the US. So um, I thought, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support this venture. Cool. Yeah. For people who are not ready to invest in this, because I imagine, let's say, if you have to drive an Uber to actually survive, then maybe you are not ready to yet to pay for a website, right? What are the good alternatives that are free? Well, GitHub is one good alternative. I believe that even WordPress has a free tier. Uh, it'll just say WordPress in the URL instead of just your name or the website name. I mean, our pubs is another one. You can always host your work on GitHub. Mm-hmm. Just have a link, right? Just, just have a link. But you can use Hashnode to mm-hmm. basically describe your project. And at the very top, somewhere in the middle and at the end, you say link to code. I mean, you have to get creative. If you don't have the money, you have to get creative. I am in a position now in my life where I'm okay paying for hosting and I'm okay paying for a website builder to get a clean URL and a clean look on my website. Mm-hmm. The most important thing, right? If you're looking for a job, like a GitHub page would do. Yes, a GitHub page would do. But one thing I tell people is you have to make it easy for those who land on your page to know where's what, right? Mm-hmm. And what means what. It's okay to be redundant and over-explain or over-describe but it's much better than having no description, right? Mm-hmm. Most people don't just want to look at the code. Right? You need to have some comments. You need to know what it accomplishes. Yeah, I imagine that if I look at the CV of somebody, of a candidate, uh, when I hire, only in rare occasions, I would actually go and check the code because I have only limited time and many candidates, right? I don't have time to check the code of every candidate. Maybe a, at the end of the funnel, but not at the beginning, definitely not Mm -hmm. before the first interview. So having a good description of your project for each project in GitHub, I think it's very helpful to quickly get an idea what the project is about instead of just uh, trying to figure out this from the code. I agree. Yeah, we have a few questions. So the first question is, I currently work as a math teacher and I want to switch career to data field. Sounds familiar, right? Can you give tips or tricks to do it? I think you already gave quite a few suggestions. Uh, this question was asked before we covered that part. Yeah, but the question continues is, what should I learn first? Do you have any suggestions for for that maybe? I think you would go with SQL, right? Or something else? I would say definitely SQL. 
start with SQL, start with a software visualization tool and one programming language. So being a math person, I was always attracted to R. But if someone comes to me and says R or Python, I would suggest to learn Python over R. It's more marketable, in my opinion. And I don't know if you can share this with the listeners or the viewers, but I just share this Twitter URL. Okay. Yeah, that is a thread that I created or that I wrote describing how I would go about transitioning from teacher to data analyst or analytics engineer, business intelligence engineer. And in usual Twitter mode, it screams at you, right? It says, I was a broke teacher, but that's just to get people to click on it. But uh, there's actually useful information there. <laughs> okay. So SQL, Python, some visualization tool. Oh, that's probably enough, right, for the start. And then just use the skills to build the portfolio. Yeah, use your skills to build portfolio. Look at use cases. Look at uh, business analytics or data science use cases to familiarize with what type of problems will come to you. If you can, also look up data analyst interview because it's good to familiarize yourself with the interview process. But being a teacher, I don't know who this person is and perhaps they're, they're different than me, but sometimes teachers, sometimes uh, STEM students, like math, physics, stats, computer science students think that they should know everything before going into an interview or they think that they should be good enough. I'm just going to study the fundamentals and then I'm going to crack the interview. Well, I think you should familiarize yourself with how the interview is structured because there are some commonalities across multiple companies. Typically, the big companies set the pace and then everybody else kind of follows or most smaller companies follow. And by the way, what do you do now? Like you work at Amazon. What do you do? There? Yeah, I'm at Amazon. I'm in advertising. I'm in a BI and data engineering team. So it's uh, advertising operations. So we'll consume uh, data from upstream teams and then make it available to a group of troubleshooting consultants across about nine different countries. So it's a lot of ingesting data, building pipelines, adding business logic, and eventually creating dashboards for reporting or to accelerate the troubleshooting process. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, what we would call these days analytics engineer, right? So this is the kind of work. Yes, but uh, Amazon actually calls it business intelligence engineer. So it really, mm -hmm. I've come to learn that it depends on like the name of the company. I know that Apple calls mm -hmm. it analytics engineer, Netflix does too, and many of the new startups are calling it analytics engineer. And the first job you got when you actually landed that job, was it an analyst job or analytics engineering job? So the, the first job that I got was actually it. The title was data scientist, okay. but most of the work that I was doing was writing SQL and building dashboards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is what a typical analytics engineer does today? Back then, my first job, I was not building any pipelines. Right? And so I think the best way to describe it is data analyst or data analyst consultant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most of the time I was writing SQL. Some are but mostly SQL and then Tableau. Right? I personally don't use Tableau anymore since I work at Amazon. I use AWS or Amazon Web Services QuickSight, which is Amazon's internal database software. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I've gotten quite good at that, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm sad that 
that not more people use it because I would love to bounce ideas on how to design dashboards with them. But I guess the main concepts of uh, visualization, they still apply to Tableau, Power BI, or whatever to use, right? They do. Uh, QuickSight is a bit, it's younger, so it could feel a bit more clunky uh, at first. And so, yeah, I'm always curious to see visually pleasing QuickSight dashboards. So what was the best suggestion for you when you started that helped you more than others? And something that still works is you have to keep showing up. I think showing up is 50% of the battle. 50, like half of the success, right? Yes, you have to be there all the time. You have to keep showing up. There will be people who, for example, I'm not very technical. I'm not the most technical person. In most teams that I join, I'm average when it comes to how technical I am. But I bring other things to the table. You know, whether it's soft skills, whether it's uh, hosting team events, whether it's suggesting new ideas for documentation or creating documents on uh, frequently asked questions or most asked questions during office hours, whatever it is, I bring something else to the table. But uh, I'm always there, right? I'm always showing up to the meetings. I'm always showing up online. Consistency, perseverance. Yes, that goes a long way. And that applies, I think, for any career. But uh, people tend to get discouraged when they're trying to find that first data role. Mm -hmm. Like in everything, take Twitter. Before you start getting your first like, you need to publish something for at least a couple of weeks, right? Yes. And then people will notice you and then people will start liking you. And the same with uh, getting a job, right? So you need to show up on meetups, right? And then people will start noticing you. And then maybe you will find uh, that opportunity. Yeah, now, because the state of the world, the pandemic, uh, not all meetups are open or not everyone will go, but you can do the networking online. I'd say that's the biggest change between 2016 and, and today, 2022. There is uh, some conferences, online conferences, they have this option called networking. And this is like, I don't know how it's called, like random date or basically there is a pool of people and this software takes a pair of people randomly and connects them and they can talk to each other for five minutes. And then if they want to continue, they keep talking. I know at least Hopin, the conference software that does this, I think other online conference software also have this feature. So if you attend an online conference and the main thing finished, I think it's pretty valuable to stay a bit longer and take part in this networking session when you are assigned randomly to somebody and you can talk to them. And I met quite amazing people. And they got to, like, we connected on LinkedIn afterwards. Yeah, some of them I invited to this podcast. That is quite useful, so do that. There's definitely value in meeting people. Yeah, I think uh, we should be wrapping up. Maybe last, fast question, quick question. Sure. What are some important skills that you should highlight on your portfolio? Outside of common data skills, it says. I don't know, you mentioned these soft skills, things that you can offer, right? That maybe mm-hmm. not everybody is doing them. Yeah. So everybody's probably doing exploratory data analysis, data wrangling, uh, different data visuals. Something you can bring to set yourself apart is good communication, being concise and direct 
clear with your words when you describe what you're solving. You know, I think the STAR method, S-T-A-R, situation, task, action, result format is quite useful because it summarizes your project and it gives some business context. Communicating business context that you understand the underlying business or situation under or behind your project. That's also important. Being organized, if your project is well-structured. Like has a clean readme that it's clear what's happening there. Things are in folders, right? Yes, that goes a long way. Uh, it's so often uh, overlooked by engineers or scientists when they first start out, but it goes a long way. Because eventually when they bring you on, they hire you on the team, you know, you don't want files to just be on, on the engineers' laptops, right? Mm-hmm. It needs to be in a repository and it needs to be organized in such a manner that if everyone or when everyone in the team leaves and you have new people, the work can still continue mm-hmm. successfully. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, I think we should be wrapping up. Anything else you want to say before we finish? Thank you for the invitation. If anyone wants to get a hold of me or is somehow interested in the information I shared, they can follow me. I think I'm more active on Twitter than I am on LinkedIn, but I am on both. And the website, your website is thatjuanpablo.com, is it? Yeah, (laughs) that has become my brand these days. Not very creative, but that's it. (laughs) Makes it easier. I guess just Juan Pablo is already taken, right? It's a quite common name, yes. Uh, Maybe not so much outside of Latin America and Spain, but the moment you go to those two places, Mm -hmm. you'll meet many. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us today. And also thanks everyone for joining us today as well and asking questions. And yeah, have a great weekend. Thank you, Alexei. And I'll see you around. Take care. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye.